0: This chapel message is brought to you by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. This morning we're going to speak about identity theft. Now, perhaps some of you are saying, whoa, wait a minute. Probably saying, Bill? And I'd say, yes. Did Mitt just talk about identity? And I'd say, and your point? Well, yes, he did. In fact, I had planned this talk in advance of hearing Mick's talk. And so, you know, if you're, if you're anything like me, when something comes in twos and threes, I mean, I think, Bert, you touched on this topic just even a little bit in your talk on Tuesday. Usually, it's God's way, I know it is for me, of getting my attention. It's something I need to hear again and again because I am not that bright, and I need to hear it. And maybe you do too. So I'm going to take certainly this topic. And it's going to be complimentary. It's certainly uh, not going to be redundant. Um, It's going to take a different kind of framework. I'm going to be framing it more in the negative. Looking at what are those things that attempt to steal our identity. Or the ways that we go about finding our identity. Which fall short of how we are to see who we are. As sons and daughters of the king. And so some of these myths, and we're going to talk about what are the myths that we fall prey to. You may look at them and say, well, it would be hard for me to see how a Christ follower would fall prey to these things, but I think you'll see we're as susceptible to these things as the world is, and maybe even more so because they're more insidious, they're more subtle. So we're going to be looking at this topic of our identity. And I think in our culture at large, when we think about Creating our identity, we see it as a personal DIY project. We're going to do it ourselves. We're going to do what we can to try to kind of create, pull together, cobble together our identity. And uh, it's, you know, it's been spoken about, and Carl Truman, which one of our speakers at NatCon said it in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, he says this, The intuitive moral structure of our modern social imaginary prioritizes victimhood, sees selfhood in psychological terms, regards traditional sexual codes as oppressive and life-denying, and places a premium on the individual's right to define his or her own existence. We get to define, at least in our common cultural milieu, we we are called to define our own existence, our, our own identity. All these things play into legitimizing and strengthening those groups that can define themselves in such terms. They capture what one might say the spirit of the age. You don't have to go too far to see how this plays out. In fact, I'm not advising you to see this. This is just a pastime of mine. But if you ever look on Twitter, there's this thing called libs of TikTok. And these are people who are self-disclosing on TikTok their identities, their, their uh, gender identities as such, and, and all these t- types of things, and uh, there was a person that kind of kind of made the conversation, who identified had a cake identity. They, did, they identified themselves as cake, because they were feeling light and fluffy. Their words, not mine. light and fluffy. So they were cake. Now, you can see how this begins to all unravel. We, we start identifying ourselves in our own way, through our own lenses, through our own subjective measurements. We're going to get, we are, I don't think we're going to, I think it's already arrived, it's, it's here, we're going to get a lot of craziness. We're going to get a lot of people who are confused, frustrated. It's, it's the culture we find ourselves in. We are trying to find our identity through our own means. And so that leads us to the first myth. We're often told the best way to find yourself is to look inward. Look within the heart. You be you. That's what we're often told. But we know, well, that this comes with a cost. A survey found in 2015 that 91% of adults in the United States agree that the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. So you've got to think there's some Christians in that mix of 91%. Elsa, the great theologian. You know in her song, Let It Go, I'm not going to sing it. You thought it? I heard a gasp. I heard someone go, oh, no, please. No, I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to read some of the lyrics. This is Elsa. It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. little girls, mostly, are singing these lyrics. They don't maybe understand, but it's getting in deep into who they are. It's, it's becoming out there in the very air they breathe. Tim Keller felt enough to address this in a comment he made in his, one of his latest books. He says, This song, Sentiment, is a good example of expressive individualism. Identity is not realized, as in traditional societies, by sublimating our individual desires for the good of our family and people. Instead, we become ourselves only by asserting our individual desires against society, by expressing our feelings and fulfilling our dreams, regardless of what anyone says. The scriptures obviously point to a different direction, and certainly as Christ followers, we would know that finding true identity is not going to come from within. It's going to have to come from someone outside, someone that we can look to with an objective view, the one who created us. Who best to know how we are best to operate, how we are best to live than the one who created us? And so, you know, I often like to talk about the scriptures as as certainly a love letter, God's love letter to us. It certainly provides a great story. And we'll we'll look at that in just a minute. But it's also a user manual. It also shows us how we are then to live, how we are best to live, how are we to flourish. What is true human flourishing? It is found in what The God of the universe, our creator, says about us. And so we are to look to him. We are to look to his word as it speaks about us. Colossians 1.16 presses upon this point. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. We are not to find it within ourselves. We are to look outside. We are to look to him to hear what he says about us, what he declares about us. and of course, as those in Christ, he declares he says, "I declare you blessed. You are a son, you are a daughter." He sees us as righteous because of what Christ has done for us, because in him we are clothed and robed in His righteousness, holy, perfect." So that's the first myth. Myth number two, you are your ethnicity, gender, or sexuality. Of course, the scripture speaks to this. In Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave or free, nor male or female, for all you are is one, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. You know, with all the intersexuality, the... the, you know, dividing ourselves in our unique tribes. We have a tendency to separate ourselves along all kinds of different lines. And so often, you know, we can find, or at least we're tempted to find, our identity in those things, ethnicity, our gender as such. And although we can celebrate those things and we can find a sense of joy, you know, in, in, in our background and in who we are and how God created us, God did create Diversity. And that's a good thing. But true identity is found in who we are united in Christ. That is where identity should be ultimately found. That's what binds us together. That's the thing that we hold in common with one another in Christ, is that relationship with him. Sons and daughters of the king and brothers and sisters among one another. So our identity transcends that diversity, as good as that is, to a greater unity, and that unity is found in Christ. So that was myth number two. Myth number three you belong to yourself. A couple of days ago, I was listening, I think it was The World and Everything in a podcast. They were um, looking back on the death of Jack of Orkian. You know, Jack of Orkian, the so to speak doctor who uh, assisted suicide and so forth. Um, And they were interviewing him after he got out of prison. And he was talking about how his primary, his premier value, the thing that he esteemed the most, the thing that was the most important to him was autonomy. That nothing would dictate what he was to do. Nothing had or yielded authority over him. He had complete autonomy as a human being to execute on his own agency to do whatever he felt he needed to do. And in this case, he was talking about individuals such as himself being able to have the right, as he called it, to die. That no one could say or speak otherwise because of this desire, this uh, this, this uh, elevation of autonomy. But the Bible, the Scriptures, God himself says paints a different picture he says do you not know that your bodies are temples of the holy spirit who is in you whom you have received from god you are not your own we are not our own we have someone in authority over us and it is more clear that as paul said he is he often talked of himself as a bondservant of jesus christ called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of god and in first peter it says for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from this empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We've been purchased. We've been redeemed. We've been bought by the precious blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. So we are not our own. We are in submission to, in service to, Our Lord Jesus, as Paul said, a bondservant. That is the posture that we have. That is the relationship. That's what marks out our identity, as we're going to see in just a minute. We are not our own. That's the third myth. The fourth myth is your unique life story defines you. Don Miller, uh, author, I don't know if you've ever read Blue Like Jazz, but he, he, he says, you know, so often, in, he says, in my life, I'm the star of my own motion picture. And everybody else, they're just bit players. And I think we're often apt to be just the same way. I'm the star. I'm the center of the universe. I'm the center of this story. I'm the center of this film, so to speak. And everybody else, they're just bit players. And so often we can see that, or we can be tempted to see that it's all about us, that this whole story revolves around us, that it defines us as well. Paul Tripp says this, Thankfully, I'm not the author of my own personal story. Your story isn't an autobiography either. Your story is a biography of wisdom and grace written by another. Every turn he writes into your story is right Every twist of the plot is for the best. Every new character or unexpected event is a tool of his grace. Each new chapter advances his purpose. We are part of God's great story, his redemptive story of bringing his people back to himself, of restoring it creation again. We are part of that story. That's where we fit in. Hebrews 12, 2 says, as we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, who, the author and perfecter of faith, who by the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand throne of God. He is the author, perfecter of our faith. This is his story. We are a part of it. That is our place in it. And so our identity comes by the role, the opportunity, the place we have in his great redemptive story. So, kind of looking at it from the negative framework, those are the myths. Those are the ways we're tempted to find our identity. We obviously saw from the beginning that certainly it's the Word of God. It's from Him, God al- alone, that defines who we are. Our identity is to find out, be found outside of ourselves, not within. So what is our true identity? Well, there's a lot of things we could talk about. I've mentioned several of them before. But I love this list that David Paulson. I don't know if you David Paulson is, counselor, theologian. He's now with the Lord. But David came out this list, and this is just a sample of as we look at the way that God talks about us, as we see ourselves in, his, in light of his word, in light of his story, this is what our identity is. This is who we are. Not something, not some construct that we've just cobbled together in and of ourselves, but it is from God. He defines it. He illuminates it. He sheds the spotlight on this for us to know, to enjoy, and to be blessed by. Here's a couple of them. All good gifts, beginning with life itself, come from God. You will never be independent. The Lord sustains our lives physically by his providence. And every word from the mouth of God gives life. And supremely, Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Faith knows and embraces this core identity, which is, I am his dependent. We need him. We are dependent upon him. I am his dependent. Second one, our dependency as created beings, it is compounded, complicated, and intensified by sins and sufferings. To know ourselves truly is to know our need for help. Faith knows and embraces this core identity. I am poor and weak. That is who we are, poor and weak, in need of His great mercy, His kindness, his help. The Lord is merciful to the wayward. He redeems the sinful, forgetful, and blind. Faith knows and embraces this core identity. I am sinful, but I am forgiven. Think Luther talked about this, sinful and forgiven. This, those two things operate and function in our lives, this side of glory, until the point of where we're completely transformed, we're going to still struggle with sin, but know that we are completely forgiven. And when, because we are in Christ, when God looks at us, he's going to see Christ in us. But we are sinful, yet forgiven. And so we can come to him even in our sin, even in our wrestling with sin, in our challenges, our struggles, with Repentance. We should be, as Christ followers, the chief repenters. We should be repenting repenters. Our life should be marked by repenting to the Lord, repenting to one another, confessing to one another as it is. Here's another identity. God is our Father. He adopts us in Christ. And by the power of the Spirit, he gives us a childlike heart. We need parenting every day. We need tender care, patient instruction, and constructive discipline. Faith knows and embraces this core identity. I am God's child. Just read through Galatians. We are no longer orphans, but now we are children. No longer orphans, but now children. Here's another one. The Lord is our refuge. Our lives are beset by a variety of troubles, threats, and disappointments. We aren't strong enough to stand up to what we face. God's presence is the only safe place. Faith knows and embraces this core identity. I'm a refugee. I like that one. I don't I never hear us talked about as we're refugees. But we are finding refuge in God. We seek a refuge from him. He is our refuge and strength. The Lord is our shepherd. This one may, is more common to us, although we're not in that agrarian kind of society, but we understand this metaphor, this uh, idea of shepherd. He laid down his life for his sheep. He watches over our going out and coming in. We need looking after and continual oversight. Faith knows and embraces this core identity. I am a sheep in his flock. Christ is Lord and Master. He brought us... Bought us with a price. We belong to him. We need someone to tell us what to do and how to do it. Faith knows and embraces this core identity. I am a servant indentured for life. We heard that just earlier. You know, we talked about the idea that being a bondservant, that we are not our own. We are a servant indentured for life. The Lord is married to his people. He patiently nourishes and cherishes his wife, the living body of Christ. We need husbanding from someone faithful, kind, protective, and generous. Faith knows and embraces this core identity. I submit to Jesus. I submit willingly, immediately. Our God is good, mighty, and glorious. He is worthy of our trust, esteem, gladness, and gratitude. Faith knows and embraces this core identity. I am a worshiper. Those are just a sample. There's more. We could, it, you go through the scriptures, you could see, and you'll be able to read and explore all the many ways that we're identified in our relationship with God in relationship to one another but our identity is found in him found in Christ as we're united with him we understand it clearer as God speaks about it in his scriptures we look outside of ourselves not within we are not our own we are not the centerpiece of this story we are part of God's greater redemptive story so as you think about who you are look to him Look inside his word. Reflect on these truths and others and don't allow your identity to be stolen. (laughs) You don't want to settle for something that is just a shadow of what you really have and who you really are. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, you speak these truths over us. Uh, Thank you um, that... uh, you delight in us, you rejoice, you dance over us as, as your children. Father, help us to live in that truth every waking moment of every day. Thank you for our time together as a community of faith here at CMDA to come together like this. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.